0: An extra ticket, and they went along this uh, on this trip, and uh, one reason or another, they were bumped uh, from kind of regular class to first class, and they got all of the first class uh, treatment. And kind of as this uh, uh, young boy was settling into his very luxurious chair, and as he was kind of sipping his first of probably many, uh, you know, complimentary drinks, uh, you know, and and the bottomless snacks. As he was just kind of settling into his chair, he turned to his dad and said, Now this is living. Now, it's kind of a funny phrase. It makes it seem like everything up until that moment seemed like death, right? (laughs) He was alive. Everything was great. He's going on a trip. He's on an airplane. But man, sitting in that seat, getting promoted to that spot, he said, Now this is living. Now, we are in a series... Um, that we've called the Peter perspective, and we're looking at First and Second Peter, uh, and we've recommended that hey you take some time and read through those uh, letters over your summer holidays, and and as well we recommend reading through the Gospel of Mark. Um, Mark is actually a disciple of Peter's, and we don't really have a Gospel of Peter, but this is kind of the Gospel from Peter's. Uh, perspective. Now, Mark is very respectful in how he talks about Peter through that uh, gospel. And in fact, some of the other uh, gospels might be guilty of slamming Peter or telling it more honestly than the book of Mark. Um, But again, Mark's being respectful of Peter as he tells it. But we encourage you to dive into these letters as well as to read through the gospels because we believe that um, the way that Peter approaches uh, the subject matter that comes up in 1 and 2 Peter comes from his real and radical experience with Jesus. Now, we've already, so again, these letters about living. And we've talked about living hope, living holy and loving others, being living stones, living in submission, living above suffering. And today we're talking about living for the will of God. Now, at first, these themes might not seem like first-class living, but as you settle into this way of life, you will find yourself saying, now this is living. And by contrast, any other way of life will seem like death. Uh, Christianity really is that. It's an invitation to step into abundant, eternal life, one that can begin now and carry on into eternity. So throughout the letter, we've seen that we have this blend of teaching about the way of the Christian life, but also the motivations behind it. There is what you should do or should not do, and the reason or even the power and purpose behind it. Um, People often confuse Christianity with Stoicism. Stoicism is kind of just doing the right thing because it's the right thing. And often I think parents are guilty of doing this. They want their children to behave the right way and they simply demand that they do without really giving them the reasons or the motivations why. But the, uh, the Christian way of life is always this deepening understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done that leads to uh, a life Um, That is lived in a certain way we've already seen again that even husbands wives slaves can all find greater fulfillment and enjoyment in life when they first consider who Jesus is what he has done and ultimately what he desires for us in fact I don't think you'll actually ever find any instruction about Christian uh, Christianity or Christian living that is motivated or activated by these kind of statements. Just because it's the right thing to do, because we've always done it that way, or don't question our traditions, just get in line. Instead, it always goes back to our theology about Jesus. So let's take a look at the scripture uh, together. We've already read it, and so we'll just kind of go through it verse by verse. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, uh, we're hopping in again to 1 Peter chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered... In his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Jesus' suffering was real, it was physical, as well as emotional, psychological, spiritual. Jesus knows exactly what it is to face suffering of all kinds. And no matter what kind of suffering that we face, He knows it personally. He is not a distant onlooker to our suffering. See, many people have a problem with a God who allows suffering of any kind. And they maybe even begin to doubt if there's a God at all. But ultimately, still, they have no answer for and certainly no comfort from suffering. Christianity is uniquely capable Uh, of addressing suffering and bringing meaning to suffering. No other worldview, no other religion, philosophy can so powerfully address every kind of suffering. Now, Peter wrote this to Christians who were suffering because of their faith, because of their way of life, their beliefs, their faith in Jesus. They were facing intense persecution. And however, though they are facing this suffering, I don't think Peter wrote just to comfort them. I think he's primarily focused on activation. See, he says here in verse 1, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. The way that I came up with saying that just for my own understanding to help me, arming yourself, well, that's weaponizing something. Weaponize your attitude by focusing on Jesus. So what was Jesus' attitude towards his own suffering? He wasn't indifferent to it. He considered his options and prayed for the chance to avoid it, but embraced it. He laid down his own life willingly, but he didn't go to the cross because it was the right thing to do. Jesus went to the cross to honor his Father in heaven. But also in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And I've often thought about the joy. What was the joy? What was it that he was seeing? What was set before him? What gave him the drive to endure what he did? Ultimately, it was you. He had us in mind. More than, again, more suffering than anyone has ever experienced was poured out on him, and he endured it because he was looking forward to an eternity with us. So weaponize your attitude by focusing on Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to spend eternity with you. He wants that relationship to happen right now. We pray a simple prayer around here for people who are choosing to make that decision for the first time. We say, dear Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in you as Lord and Savior. Now help me live a life that will honor you. When we understand his attitude towards us, we can also have that same attitude. His reward is us, and our reward is him. And when our attitude is the same, it gives us the strength to face suffering of all kinds in pursuit of the will of God. In verse two, it says, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. When you weaponize your attitude by focusing on Jesus, it gives you the strength to do God's will. See, in order to live for the will of God, you must reorder your desires. You must desire him the most. And we've talked about this here before, this idea of the evil human desires. It's the, that the heart is an idle factory. It creates from anything or anyone something that can be loved in an inordinate way. That we would love it more than God. And when something like that is switched, it can bring all kinds of destructions. Perhaps it is parents who love their children first. Perhaps it's someone who is longing for their soul mate. Perhaps it is success and work. Whatever it might be, anything can be turned into something that is not a godly kind of love. And it ends up being destructive for ourselves as well as others. Um there was a lightning that struck the golf course just nearby here. Did anybody see that in the paper? Have you seen the pictures? Uh, It's kind of a crazy story, but anyways. So when that happened, the power here also went out because uh, the transformers that uh, connect this building to power blew, and so they had to come in and repair uh, those transformers. But when that repair happened, uh, two things were just switched. The wires got switched one way or the other. And so what happened is our building had power, But certain things were working fine and certain things were not. Most of the week, I was uh, away on holidays, and so I wasn't in the building. But many people I heard of the staff who were in here were complaining that the office was just a little bit warm, and no matter how many times they pressed the buttons on the thermostats, they couldn't get it cool enough. You know, it was pretty warm. Even the worship team, we were all prepared to come, you know, in much thinner clothes and be just dressed down because it might get really, really warm. And especially, you know, over there in that tiny little room where I was drumming, it was getting very warm. And it wasn't cooling properly. So we brought in an expert to try and help us diagnose the problem. We had power, but we couldn't get this place to cool down. Nothing seemed to be working properly. Anyways, we were standing up on the roof, looking at one of the air conditioner units, and realized that the fan motor was running backwards because something had been switched. We had power, but it wasn't the right way around. And so everything was reversed. Everything was going backwards. And as soon as... The order was correct, the air conditioning came back on, and it was, again, everything was functioning as it should. It took us a while to find, but there it was. Now, again, I'm I'm not an expert on air conditioners or uh, electricity like that, but it feels like it's kind of like this. We can have a desire for something, and it's in the wrong place when we love something more than God everything becomes reversed. There's different consequences. Some things seem normal, but other things um, have these consequences, and it begins to break down and cause harm to us and to others. But once it's fixed, once our love or adoration is fixed on Jesus, our focus is on him, everything else falls into place. And then, as a parent, you can love your children without needing their love in return, because you know that you are ultimately loved and valued uh, by your heavenly Father, everything shifts, everything changes. Again, he's the only master who doesn't enslave. When you make him um, your one true love, uh, everything falls into place. So when we consider how Jesus loves us and how he died on the cross, we begin to leave our old life behind. Verse three, it says this, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. There it is again. Um, But when this happens, most people don't get it. When you make that switch, they are still wired incorrectly. They're backwards. They're reversed. And so they are surprised, it says in verse 4, that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. This is a pretty harsh reality. Most people will drag you down. They might not want to or mean to, but people find it uncomfortable when you don't lower your standards to theirs. I worked as an IKEA delivery driver for a while, uh, for a few months before switching into being a driver for a junk removal service. So all within a matter of a few months, I was able to deliver some IKEA furniture and then go back and pick it up. (laughs) As I was working for this place, I realized kind of in the first little while I think I was the only non-smoker in the whole group. There was one other person that didn't smoke, but I couldn't even see them because of all of the smoke. Uh, And the whole time that I was there, nobody said, you know what, Kurt, we respect you for making that healthy choice. Not a single person. Every single one of them offered me a smoke. I mean, that's generous, but it didn't seem like they were just trying to share. It seemed like they were very uncomfortable with the fact that I was not a smoker, and they were. And in fact, I realized slowly, because bit by bit as they worked there, they all came to me and talked to me about how they wished they weren't a smoker. They wished that they could give that up, and, that they, and they even promised me about how they were going to do that. I don't think any of them were able to do that, though. Um, in fact, the one other smoker finally came up, and he said, hey, can I please work with you as we're doing this? He talked to the, manager, the managers of the place, because we would all go from Ikea in our various trucks to deliver all over the city of Toronto. And he was, well, tired of sitting in a small cab with a smoker, as well as the job demanded that you run up and down flights of stairs carrying furniture. And he was tired of working with people who had limited lung capacity. Um, now, sin is, or, uh, smoking is not a sin, but there is consequences that come to us because of our decisions. Um, again I think it's in verse 5 it says but you know people will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead and for this reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they may be judged according to human standards in regard to the body but live according to God in regarding to the spirit this next verse is the one that stood out to me the most as I've been studying this passage for the last few weeks uh, in verse 7 just that first beginning phrase the end of all things is near. Uh, I'm a fair weather runner. That means that when it's cold outside, I don't really like to go outside at all, uh, certainly not to exercise. Now, I have gone for a run or two um, in through the snowbanks. Uh, I have a couple of dogs and a dog sled, and I'll take my kids out, and I end up running beside it, and they have a lot of fun. So I have been out there, but it's Most often, winter comes and I kind of go into my garage and end up lifting some weights to try to stay fit, but I give up on running. But every time the spring comes around, I get kind of itchy to get back out there and run. And perhaps it's because I haven't really been that active. I'm uh, almost feeling like I need to because I'm sore from staying inside and not moving. And spring comes and I want to get out there and run. I feel the restlessness of not running, but I also know that getting started back into it is going to be difficult. There is pain in avoiding it, and pain in getting going. And I guess I'm at that age where I get to choose whether I'm going to be sore from doing nothing or sore from exercising. We went on a vacation just recently, and we spent a lot of hours in the car, and it was exhausting. And in fact, finally, after many hours of driving, we would stop to get get some gas or whatever, and uh, we would move around and stretch. But I was so exhausted from sitting still that I felt like I needed to sit down. Have you been there? Have you kind of had that experience? So this is a struggle. It's I'm sore if I'm sitting too long, if I'm not moving. But I know that getting back to being active is going to be hard too. You know, I often have a conversation with myself before going for a run, right before, you know, my alarm will kind of go off. And suddenly there's two of me. One disagrees with the idea about the run and one who would like to do it. One who's like, let's just sleep in. What could, you know, how bad could it be? And the other ones who's nervous about, well, if we just give up entirely, what will happen to us? Uh, and I have this inner conversation, but finally, uh, I will get up the courage or will be alert enough to make um, a dash for my jogging shoes and I'll head out the door and run. And when I hit the start workout, you know, button on my running app, off I go. Sometimes I have my dogs with me running, sometimes I'm pushing a chariot with a few kids, sometimes I have the dogs pulling the chariot and I'm just hanging on, but out the door we go. And usually within the first 500 meters of my run, I run way too fast. It might be me catching up to the stroller that my dogs are pulling or something, but I end up racing down uh, the road. Maybe it's just that I'm too optimistic about what I can actually accomplish in my run. I'm just getting started and I go way too fast. And that usually comes back uh, to hurt me by kilometer three. I'm kind of still waking up. My muscles aren't warmed up yet. I'm awkward and frantic and I notice right away if one of my shoes is not tied as tight as the other, but there's no time to stop and fix it. Kilometer two, it's usually this point where I realize how frantic my breathing is, and I start to slow down to a manageable pace, but my breathing hardly does. I'm pushing very, very hard. Sometimes I run with music you know, in my ears, and I don't notice the sound of my own desperate breathing. But I slow to a pace, and my breathing begins to recover. And in fact, this is the first thing that I've noticed that changes quite quickly when you start back into running. At first, uh, again, all my childhood memories of being an asthmatic come back, but a few weeks into it, and that doesn't seem to bother me as much anymore. In kilometer three, I become aware that I'm only halfway there. This is often when my pace begins to become too slow, and my app starts reminding me that I'm going too slow and says, speed up. But even as my breath is settling into a rhythm, I'm now getting tired. At this point, sometimes the only thing that keeps me going is I realize I'm now the furthest distance away from my house, and I have to get back home. Sometimes if I've got my kids with me, I'm also reminded that I'm not just running for me. I can't just kind of lay down and leave them sitting there in the chariot. Um, And at this point, I also realize, again, depending on the temperatures in the spring, I realize if I've estimated correctly the temperatures versus the layers that I'm wearing. At this point, often I'm too warm and have to take a few layers off. In kilometer four, I start heading downhill. I kind of return into some more shady streets. I settle into a rhythm, and I feel like I can keep going for a while. What's a few more kilometers? Maybe I'll do 10. I'm not thinking of my muscles or my breathing. Instead, I'm noticing the world around me, and I find my mind getting clearer and more focused. If I've had nutritious meals and a good night's sleep, Kilometer five feels just as easy as any part of the journey, but if I'm run down at all, this becomes the hardest part. Finishing well is not easy. And the clarity that I found in kilometer four is now needed to keep up the pace in kilometer five. I start counting the blocks. I watch the street signs. I'm always surprised that I'm not further than I think I am. I look for familiar houses. I start longing for the end. There's a park near my house That marks the last leg of the journey and as soon as I near the park I begin to outpace my dogs they've settled into their own rhythm but for the first time I'm now leading them I start calling out to my soul to speed up I say let's go come on we can do it my kids cheer my app starts to tell me to slow down but I've got more in the tank and I know that in a few minutes it will be all over The end of all things is near. We are in the last 500 meters of our run. We just got to the park by my house, and it's time to pick up the pace, to dig deep, to push hard, to leave it all on the field. I don't follow a lot of sports, so I don't have any more of those to throw at you. (laughs) And how do we do that? In these next verses, we see that we should pray, love, and give. So the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. And above all, love each other deeply because love covers covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, if for your faith you are being persecuted, you're being crushed by the world around you because of your faith, certainly you should band together with the family of God, and Christian community, and demonstrate love to one another. And each of you should use whatever gift you have to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter continues in verse 12. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Now, in in Christian history, it often happens where cultural elements are mingled together with Christian doctrine, and they end up creating something that's not really Christianity, though it may call itself that. See, sometimes people believe that Christianity is supposed to immediately fix every problem that you face and somehow allow us to cut into the front of any line that really, really wish to be the front of. It also erases all consequences of our past choices. But it's not exactly like that. He does, we know from the scriptures, work out all things for the good of those who love him, but it might not be on this side of heaven, that we get to see all of that. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. Really, life is hard. But Peter, again, is not just talking about general suffering. And I think we've said earlier, suffering, again, has a variety of forms. There's suffering that you can not avoid Maybe it's because of financial uh, crisis, circumstances, you lose a job. Maybe you're suffering because health-related issues, a variety of things, and you can't really avoid it. Then there is suffering that you could avoid, and I think Peter brings that up in just a few verses. There is suffering that you can avoid through wise choices and that kind of thing, living according to the teaching in the Scripture. But there's also suffering that you can embrace, like exercise, Um, where you can focus on something that, though it has a cost, there is a great reward. And Peter is talking about this ordeal that comes along with following Jesus. And Jesus was always reminding people of the cost of following him. He said that, well, they hated him, so they would hate those who followed him. And that shouldn't come as a surprise. And if it does come as a shock to your system when people rail against you because of your faith... Again, remember that starting verse. Weaponize your attitude by focusing on Jesus. Remember that he sees you as his reward and that your great reward is him. I heard a story just this week. Again, just a simple decision not to lie in their workplace and it caused friction between all of the other staff members. Uh, This person actually ended up being the person who was penalized because of it. It was a difficult situation for years because they held to the truth, because they believed that was the Christian way of life. But remembering that he is our reward and that he sees us as his, that's enough to strengthen our attitude so that it can be like his. Verse 13, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed When the moment comes, when his kingdom fully arrives, when all of the suffering gives way to eternal reward, the hard road to get there will help put the glory of it all into perspective. Verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And if you suffer, It should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Again, we've said there's lots of different ways that you can suffer, some that you can avoid, some that um, you can't. But here's a situation where, again, because of the choices that you make, the life that you live, you might end up suffering. But it has nothing to do with Christ. Verse 16, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. We just finished a series, and it was talking uh, out of the book of Luke. And again, it was thinking of all the different things that you could happen, all the miracles that you could be, participate with of, with God and His kingdom, and reaching out and bringing the gospel to people. And uh, these followers of Jesus, these people who proclaiming the gospel, they said, "You know, isn't that great? Even the demons are submitting to us." And Jesus reminded them, "Hey, you know what? Way better than that. Still, way better than that is this that." your names are written in heaven. We've been singing that song, celebrating that. And again, we need to keep that in mind as well. Praise God that you bear that name. And in verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who are suffering according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. It's interesting in Peter's encouragement to these people who are in very difficult times. There's also a harsh warning. Uh, And I've always thought, you know, in many ways, uh, so I have dogs, lots of dog trainers try to do positive-only training with their dogs. And I understand why that's a really great Way to teach and instruct But in some ways life Doesn't exactly work that way For example You want to cross the street There's an ice cream shop You're going as a whole family To get the ice cream On the opposite side of the, the street And You hope that your kids stop Make sure that it's safe Before they cross As you've instructed them to do But in that moment They make the choice To bolt across. If they are hit by a bus. They don't just lose the reward of having the ice cream on the other side. They're also injured, you know, perhaps killed because of the bus coming. Life has consequences. It has, there's this way of that there is also reward, but also these consequences. And I think it's fair for people to remind people that, yes, we want to move towards the love that Jesus is offering. Uh, Again, that he saw us as his reward, that he suffered on our behalf, that he knows what it is like to suffer, but also to issue this warning. And we should hear that, that if we miss this, we're missing out on something that is critical. So in addition to running, I've also done some CrossFit, again, some weight lifting. And as I was kind of learning about CrossFit, the sport, uh, I heard one of their elite athletes at one point, he was you know, number three, the most fittest guy in the world or something. And uh, he said this in an interview, I'm sore all of the time. And you might think that hearing that, I would choose a totally different activity altogether. Um, But it actually encouraged me because I was experiencing sore from not moving around, you know, being lethargic, being unfocused, unclear, And I didn't like that side of it either. But then again, on the other side, working hard to stay fit, well, you're sore all of the time. And again, it's which thing are you going to pick? One that really has no benefit to you and one which could be very profitable. And so I heard this and it made me go, okay, sore all the time, not injuring myself, but just sore from the work, from the running, from the lifting, from all of that kind of stuff. I'm sore today, actually. But... Um, it really helped me understand that there's this cost in being just fit. You know, the Olympics, what do they say? Faster, higher, stronger. It doesn't have an easier or more comfortable. And even an elite athlete, as the, he can run faster than I can, he can go higher, he can lift more, all of those things. He is way beyond me in every way. But for him, he's sore all the time, just like me. <laughs> there's a cost but there is a benefit, there is a reward. And I realize that exercise, being sore in that way, um, is not the same as for some of you who are struggling um, with life circumstances you couldn't avoid. Um, Perhaps you've experienced uh, loss, perhaps you're again dealing with health, um, struggles and challenges, and those are things that you can't avoid. But did you know, that God even can redeem those moments, and that in all of that, again, he can draw you closer to Christ. He can produce something in your life. And as you learn to embrace the suffering that comes, whether it comes because you can't avoid it or because you choose it because you're going to tell the truth, or you choose it in a way that is about being fit, when you choose those things, he can accomplish something in you. And you begin to live out a life according to his will. When you embrace that kind of suffering, when you choose to run, you actually do end up getting more and more healthy. I heard one person talking about their um, journey towards health. And they uh, wanted to be healthy, but hated all healthy things. Healthy food, exercise, all of that kind of stuff. And he tried for years and years to lose weight, to become fit, and he couldn't do it He just couldn't do it because, again, he wanted to be fit, but he hated all of those things. And it didn't actually begin to change for him until he started to actually realize that healthy people like healthy things. That healthy people like healthy food, and healthy people like to stay fit. They like the exercise. And though I don't think we should begin to love uh, suffering, but I think the Scripture teaches us here, That when we see that Jesus embraced his suffering, we can also embrace suffering for the purposes that God would have in our lives. Uh, As we close, let me pray for you. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have uh, a God who has suffered like we suffer in all kinds of different ways. Father, we pray that we would learn not to just run from the suffering that comes and putting our faith in you and living out a Christian life, but, Father, instead help us to embrace the suffering that comes because um, we know that it can produce something in us, you can produce something through us, that as we learn to walk that path, even though it might be difficult, we realize that on that path we will find a great reward and a great reward in you. So Father, um, would you go with each person uh, who's been here with us this week? Would you help them in the challenges that they face? Or would you help them to keep their eyes on you? In your name we pray, amen. Amen. I want to thank you guys for coming out this morning. I I know as Kurt was preaching this morning, I just kept thinking about areas of suffering in my own life, and maybe you did too, because that was a lot of the theme, and uh, the idea behind embracing the suffering that is in your life, because God wants to use that in a powerful way, and do it like Jesus did, embrace it for the reward, and embrace it uh, because it's that God has a purpose in all of these things. Well, this morning, I want to officially dismiss you, and as we do that, uh, just we're in the same habit. We're cultivating for the fall, and that's when we'll have a lot more people with us uh, here on the August long weekend. There's not a lot, but we want to do the same practices, and that's to go right out the exits we came in and go out into the parking lot. If you do want prayer this morning, you can go right straight to the prayer room, and there are people there who'd love to pray with you. But God bless you. Thanks for coming out, and I hope you enjoy your long weekend.